story of Adam and Eve. Last week we looked at Adam and Eve, how they disobeyed God and they fell into sin and shame and guilt. Well, sin, shame, and guilt, that's our default position. We're born into that. This part of the story is kind of like a hide-and-seek game. Who here has ever played hide-and-seek? Well, this is the first case of hide-and-seek. Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Spower has a moment of prayer. Dear God, thank you for another opportunity where we can gather together, where we can open your word freely, that we can dig into it, we can study it, we can learn from it. Thank you for being a God who is with us every step of the way. Thank you for being a God who teaches us and guides us and directs us. Thank you for being a God who seeks after us. God, I pray that as we look at this passage, we will be humble enough to recognize the truth. God, I pray that we will grow to understand you more and more. Amen. So things are very, very bad in the garden. Adam and Eve, they sinned by taking of their fruit and eating it. They, they, they basically were assuming God's position. Things are bad. But how does God respond? Well, first, God seeks. The author writes, In verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What is God doing? What's he doing? He's walking to whom? Adam and Eve, the guilty couple. He's seeking after the guilty couple. The moment they sinned, God did not instantly cut off ties. He did not instantly isolate himself from this couple. He actually pursues after them. He comes to them in the garden. It says, and they, who is the they? Adam and Eve, the guilty couple. 
heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. Did he have to do this? Was he obligated to go to the guilty couple? No. If anything, the guilty couple should have went to him. But God seeks them out. Adam and Eve hear the voice, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The word cool there, it means wind or or breath. The expression cool of the day can, can be the evening breeze. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the evening breeze. It's not in the force of a hurricane. And it's not in the heat of a burning fire. But in the evening breeze. Now think of that. God isn't pursuing them out of anger and hatred. God is pursuing them in gentleness and concern. Gerard von Rad, he says that they heard the rustle of God's step. This is something they had actually heard before. One person notes that the almost casual way that this is brought up indicates that this did not occur just this one time, that this was actually a continual thing, that Adam and Eve continually walked with God. They had heard this rustle of a step before. They enjoyed a close and intimate relationship with the one who created them. Hearing this rustle of a step was a pleasant thing. They looked forward to this. They loved this sound. But then all that changes. The author goes on to say, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. God is seeking after this couple. They hear the rustle of his step. And what does Adam and Eve do? They run and hide. How how crazy is that? How do you hide from God? God is everywhere, isn't he? He's everywhere. Wherever you go, he's already there. How do you run from God? Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there... Your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. There is no hiding from God. And yet that is what Adam and Eve tried to do. 
They try to hide from him. Now, this should not take us by surprise. This is exactly what we sinners do. It's the default position. Hide. Hide. Put distance in between you and God. Lock up your thoughts so that God can't penetrate and, and, and hear all your thoughts. That's foolish. God is everywhere. And he knows all your thoughts before you even thought it. Now, why do we hide? Well, we hide because we're afraid. We hide because we feel shameful. We, we hide because we feel guilty. For the unbeliever, the unbeliever is undone in the presence of the holy God. They are exposed for who they truly are. Guilty sinners. And for us Christians, well, we, we hide because we feel ashamed of what we did. And we don't want to really come clean because maybe we're afraid that if, if we come clean, then maybe God won't love us as much. Or maybe he'll feel disappointed. But as Christians, just remember this. God loves you. You are in Christ. He loves his son. He loves you. He will correct you, yes. But he, his love will never diminish. Now there's a reason why God seeks. You know what the reason is? It's because we hide. We hide. We, we don't seek after him. That's a fact that you will see as you continue to read from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You will notice a common thread here. You will, you will notice that no one seeks after God. Paul made that actually very, very clear, very evident in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. He says, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Billy Sunday once said this. And I, I, I love it. He said... Sinners can't find God for the same reason criminals can't find policemen. They aren't looking. The unbeliever, the, the natural tendency is, is to hide and, and, and to seek after their own interests, not God. But you do see from our limited human perspective, what we see is we see people seeking after God. And, and we even say that, oh, this person's seeking after God. How can this be? How can this be if the Bible teaches us something that goes against that? What are we seeing? Well, I, I think we're seeing a few things. One, uh, we're seeing people seeking after their own version of God. One that they've created in their own mind of who God is. Two, we are seeing people seeking after the blessings of God and not God himself. So what God can give them and not God himself. Or, or three, we're seeing people being drawn by God and we're calling that seeking. Jesus said in John 6 verse 44, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So Adam and Eve, what, what do they do? Well, they hide. 
but they're drawn out by God. And they're drawn out by God through God actually asking them questions. And the very first question that God asked them is this. Where art thou? Where art thou? Verse 9, right? And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, notice who he went to. Who did he go to? Adam. But I thought Eve was the one who ate the fruit first. I, I, I thought Eve was the one who sinned first. Why did God not go to Eve first? Why did God go to Adam? Well, it's because Adam is the head and representative of mankind. He is also the one who was responsible to provide spiritual guidance and protection for his wife. The blame of the fall rests on his shoulders first. He was the one that had, was required to protect his wife. He was the one who should have said to the serpent, Get lost. Get out of here. We're not going to listen to you. So that's why God goes to Adam first. And God asks Adam a very simple question. Where are you? Do you think God knew where Adam was? Or was this like the best game of hide and seek possible and God just couldn't find the hiding spot? No. God knew exactly where he was. So why does God ask the question? It's because he wanted to let Adam know where he was. Where he was, how he got there. God asked questions for our good. To give us the opportunity to face reality. To be honest and to confess our sin. This is a loving act. An unloving act would be to keep us in the dark. To keep us oblivious to to reality, to our state. God exposes through questions where Adam was. And God's not angry with Adam and Eve. He's actually acting like an anguished father concerned for his children. He knows the, the gulf that is between him and Adam. He knows how it came to be. And he's leading Adam and Eve to the reality of their situation. He's trying to clue them in where they're at. Where are you? That is such a very important question. Where are you? Where are you today? Right now, in your spiritual walk, where are you? Where are you? Are, are, do you have a walk with God? Or is the gulf still there? Have you come to the point where you confess your sin and you receive the free gift of salvation? Or is the gulf still there? And if you have received the free gift of salvation, where are you in your walk with God? Where are you? I think it's a question we need to ask ourselves. Where am I? Now, the 
best question, best thing that as Christians we have is we know where God is. God is right beside us. Just like God was right beside Adam when he asked the question. You know, Adam knows how he got there. They had disobeyed God and they ate from the forbidden tree. The moment that happened, their eyes were open and they were ashamed. Now the proper answer to God's question, where are you, should have been, well, you know what, we disobeyed your command and we hid. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That would have been a confession. Instead of confessing, Adam tries to sidestep. And he says, you know, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He's kind of sidestepping the question a little bit. Adam is avoiding a key part of the story. He's avoiding the part of uh, the serpent and the tree and their disobedience. So basically, he's telling half a story. He's only telling the half of the, the, the outcome of, of their disobedience and not the disobedience itself. Now, we can't throw Adam under the bus. I mean, we love to throw Bible characters under the bus and go, ha ha, look, look what they did. But we're the same people. We do the same thing. How many times do we tell half a story? How often do we avoid the part of the story where we disobeyed? How often do we just focus on the outcome of the action? Quite often, I would say, God will not allow us to hide behind half-truths forever. God did not allow Adam to hide behind a half-truth. God actually continues to confront him, and he asks the other question here in verse 11. Says, and he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The last question is a yes or no question. Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Yes or no? Adam is brought to a place where he has to confess what he did. And God does the same thing to us. He brings us to a point in our life where we have to confess and agree with God that we have sinned and disobeyed. And that will happen to every single individual. Right now, if we respond in faith to Jesus and we say, you know, we have sinned and we need your gift. We need Jesus in our life. That changes everything. We receive a free gift. We are forgiven. But some people, they don't recognize that need. They go on continuing with life. But you know what? One day you will face Jesus. 
you will stand before him. You will give an account. But for you, it will be, it will be too late. Every Sunday I come here, I try to share the gospel message. There's a reason for that. Because we need to respond to it. And I, I, the, the gospel message is the, the only power of God unto salvation. Romans talks about that. Will you respond today? Will you respond to the gospel? Adam and Eve, they are brought to a point where they have to confess. But here's the thing. Adam doesn't fully confess. There's the, his heart has become corrupted and, and, and continues to, to fall into corruption. Instead of facing reality, instead of not hiding behind half-truths, he uses excuses for why he did what he did. He, he plays the oldest game in the book, the blame game. We read here in verse 12, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Oh, sure. I, I guess he did admit that he ate, but he does not take the full responsibility for his action. He blames who? His wife. He throws his wife, the love of his life, the one whom he was thrilled with, not just a chapter earlier, he throws his wife under the bus. That's horrendous. And it's foolish. Because Eve did not force it upon him. He willfully chose to disobey. He willfully took that fruit and said, I'm going to eat it too. It wasn't like Eve just shoved it into his face and said, eat. But he doesn't just blame his wife, he blames somebody else. He blames God. The woman whom you gave to me. That's a complete change. He was more than heads over heels for the gift that God gave him. Now he sees Eve as an instrument of destruction. God, says Adam, God, if you didn't give me that woman, I wouldn't have sinned. It's your fault. I'm the victim of all this. Look, if he did not have the woman, he would have ended up sinning anyways. It was bound to happen. I was talking with one person earlier, and the question came about of, why was it the tree in the middle? Why wasn't it on the side of the garden? Here's the thing. If you tell your son and daughter not to touch something, it doesn't matter where it is. They're going to touch it. Well, God said, don't eat it. What do you think is going to happen? 
Just, just mull that one over for a little bit. So Adam blames Eve, blames God. He, he's, he's, the, his, his corrupt heart is, is, is on full display here. It, there's a complete reversal that's happened. Now, Adam isn't the only one that plays the blame game. Who else does? Eve. Verse 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. At least she, uh, she uh, confessed that she was deceived. But again, she doesn't take the full responsibility for her action. Charles Gerber says this, said, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> so God confronts Adam and Eve, and both try to evade responsibility for their actions. Now that should not take us by surprise. We do the same thing. We play the blame game. Actually, Kent Hughes says, to err is human. To blame it on others and upon God is more human. You know, we blame others for the choices we make. We say such things as, well, you know, if my brother wasn't such a nuisance, I wouldn't have punched him. We blame circumstances for the choices we make. We say such things as, well, if I had a boss who actually paid me what I was due, well, I wouldn't have taken a little extra off the side. We, we blame God for putting us in circumstances. We say such things as, well, you know what, if God gave me a good family, a nice family with, with good, wholesome principles and loved me, well, I would have treated my family better or I would have done this differently. We even blame God for our character. We say such things as, well, God made me this way. God gave me these passions and appetites that are so strong that I can only yield to them. We play the blame game. And when we play the blame game, what we're actually in fact doing is we're playing the victim. We're saying that we aren't responsible for our actions. We had no choice in the matter. That we're just victims of the world around us. And we're victims of God. Even Adam convinced themselves that they were the victim. How many times do we convince ourselves we're the victim? You know, we're just as guilty as Adam and Eve. We really are. We're no better than them. We too have disobeyed. We too have played the blame game. We too have played the victim. We too have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But just as God sought them out, he seeks us out. The pattern of humanity sinning and then God seeking becomes a primary theme of the rest of the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament and we see it in the New Testament. And the greatest way that we see it in the New Testament is in Jesus. God taking on a body, walking amongst sinners, seeking them out. Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man is come to seek 
and to save that which was lost. You know where that verse is found? It's found in the story of Zacchaeus. Remember that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up a sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see. And as Jesus passed by, he looked up on the tree and said, Zacchaeus, how does it end? Come down, for I want to spend some time with you. So, that's, that's really where that verse is found, the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus seeks him out, goes to his house, confronts him, and Zacchaeus is confronted with the reality, the reality that he is a sinner, that he has been cheating all of these people, and he responds to Jesus. He repents, he turns from his ways, and he does that in a very tangible way. What he says is, those who I stole from, I'm going to give back four times what I took. He is transformed. His life is different. He trusts Jesus as his Savior. God does not isolate himself off from the sinner. He seeks after them. He is a God who pursues the guilty, confronts them and draws them to himself. That is our God. You remember last week I was talking about how Satan attacked the goodness of God? Well, God's goodness is on full display right here. God takes the initiative and seeks out the guilty couple. Man has broken away from God and God will not leave them to their lost condition. This is the great amazement of the scriptures. God does not abandon us to our just deserts. He seeks after us. He comes he seeks, he finds, he draws. As Christians, sometimes we like to hide. As Christians, sometimes we like to go astray. But remember the, the parable of the good shepherd? The one sheep goes astray, and that shepherd goes, and what does he do? He seeks after the, she the sheep, finds that sheep, draws that sheep to himself, brings it back home. And they rejoice. And there is happiness and there is, there is joy. There's a, there's a song written by Mark Hall. And it's a song called... God of all my days. And he kind of touches on this. He says, I ran from you. I wandered in the shadows. And found a God who relentlessly pursues. I hid from you. Haunted by my failure. And found the God whose grace still covers me. I fell on you when I was at my weakest and found the God, the lifter of my head. And I've worshipped you and felt you right beside me 
You're the reason that I sing because you're the God of all my days. That is our God. When we go astray, he comes and he finds us and he draws us to, us, to himself. When we feel haunted by our failures, he lifts up our head. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this story. A story of how you seek out the guilty couple. We are so prone to wander. We are so prone to hide. Thank you for being a God who seeks after us and confronts us and draws us to yourself. Let us find comfort in that. Amen.